0: Alrighty, hi everybody. So, okay, remember like what we do here, everybody has to turn on the camera for just a second so I can say hi to everybody that's out there. Keep keep saying hi, yes, hello, wonderful. (laughs) Awesome, love it. Terrific, helps me a lot. Yeah. Good deal. So today's going to be a little bit different. Um, for those of you who are new, let me explain what we usually do and then how today and maybe next week will be different. Usually what we do here, this started, I don't know, what, 40 weeks ago, Andy? I mean, a long time ago. We, we started it as a way to chat during the whole COVID lockdown thing. And it just it's just continuing, which is wonderful. And so usually what I do is a very brief, spontaneous riff on something, no real prep, and then we just have Q and A and discussion. But today's going to be a little bit different um, because I think there's a massive elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. That was um, started to come to the surface last week with Ted's question about you know, how do we deal with, the, as he put it, <clears throat> with this shit show in Washington. And, and so um, I think we need to talk about this, or I, I recommend that we do. Um, so what I usually do, you know, I drafted the, the things I want to share with you. I, I literally just, just finished drafting my notes this morning, so I didn't really have time to polish things. And on one level, that's okay, because I think maybe the more kind of heartfelt, spontaneous thing <clears throat> would be helpful here. So I don't try to, you know, domesticize too much what's going on here. Um, but if I don't get through all my notes today, that's fine. Um, I wanna allow plenty of room for discussion on this. And, and I'm gonna give some guidelines for, for our discussion. And hopefully I, I'm interviewing Sharon Salzberg on Sunday and, and I'm gonna um, see if she wants to go here as well to really talk about what's happening. But um, one of the things I I would recommend, and this is a little bit like connected to some of the suggestions I might have towards how to relate to what's happening on a daily basis is I start every day with practice, I end every day with practice. And so what I recommend before we start to to frame this or almost in, in another way, unframe what's happening or recontextualize let's just do a one minute um, practice together. Um, Of all the practices that we do, I think Tong Lin is the most effective, uh, the practice of sending and taking. My suggestion is, as we go through this material, which is so charged that we even take a few minutes and I'll guide us through these these one minute, uh, one minute, one breath meditation sessions so that we just stay grounded with what's really happening and in our bodies and what we're really feeling and don't just get lost in conceptuality. Um, This is a a way to hit the pause button, hit the mute button when things just get too hot um, to settle down, I wouldn't say internal rhetoric but you get the idea. But let's start with one minute of Tong Lin. I think many buddy, many buddy, there's an interesting word, many buddy, many buddy, many people, anybody, everybody knows. On the in-breath, through every pore of your body, um, you breathe in, of course, it's not you, you're representative of the cosmos, so the cosmos is bringing it in. On every pore of your body, you bring in all the heavy, dark, pain, discord that's happening. And with every out-breath, through every pore, you radiate goodness, peace, love, tranquility. Um, and uh, I do this, I do Tonglen now more than I have because of everything that's happening. So for the next minute, with that very basic instruction, I think most people know this practice. Let's just do one one minute of Tonglen together and then um, I'll start with my little presentation, okay? I think these sorts of um, pause buttons are good for a couple of reasons. They, they keep us uh, grounded in what's really happening within us. I'll be talking a little bit more about how we confabulate, catastrophize. And so they keep us a little bit somewhat centered because um, when things go a little bit haywire like they are now, it's, it's a loss of center losing our seat and also doing something like Tung Lin um, reminds us, connects us to others that we're not just doing our little precious gatherings, our little um, precious spirituality for escapist purposes. And I'm gonna talk more about that, that we're fundamentally doing this to be a benefit. And and so what what does it really, what does it mean to be a benefit and how can we be a benefit? So as I go through my little riff here today, and again, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna try to limit myself to like 40 minutes. So then we can if, you know, we can have discussion because I think the Q and A and inviting you to share is important. Um, as we go through what I have to say, and, and I also recommend this when you're listening to um, news. Um, and often what I recommend around situations like this is that we listen not only to the peeps that we agree with. For instance, if you watch MSNBC, CNN, and the like, which I do, um, full disclosure, you know, full, full disclosure, my bias is liberal Democrat. I voted for Biden. I did not vote for Donald Trump. I think most of you probably know that. But what I do is I I do on occasion, and it is a challenge, is a type of reverse meditation. I listen to to Fox News. I listen to uh, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and others. And I find it, first of all, extremely difficult to do. But if I can't listen to them, how can I ever hope to communicate? How can we ever even think about um, reconciliation and the end of the culture wars? And so as contracted as I get, as as repulsed as I am, Sometimes I have to hit the mute button. Sometimes I have to catch myself from throwing my shoe through the TV. Um, I do that as a way to work with my own reactivity, my own contractions, my own aggression, my own anger. And also as a way to, to try to listen to something that is so disparate to the way I see things. So as I go through my little riff, a couple of invitations. Notice what you feel. Um, notice if you find yourself feeling contracted, your heart rate going up, your blood pressure going up, if you do feel that, uh, and I'm going to do this even for myself. If I start to notice myself getting a little bit riled up, um, I'm going to hit the pause button. We're going to do a one breath meditation. We want to feel these emotions. Um, we're not trying to become emotionally sterile, uh, aseptic, antiseptic. We want to feel what we're feeling, but my maxim is feel it, but don't feed it. Feel it, but don't feed it. Because if you feed it, then you lose contact, in my opinion. So if you find yourself getting riled up or even offended by some of what I'm going to say, um, you might also ask yourself, why? Why am I feeling this way? Um, Is the information getting too close, too personal? Is it in fact challenging my comfort zone, my spiritual bubble bath? Am I feeling too vulnerable? And I also, when I work with this, I I remind myself how reconstituting both anger and fear are. They're incredibly solidifying emotions. And it's very easy. I, I see this a lot in the death and dying business. It's very easy to default into anger when things are falling apart because nothing makes me feel more solid than anger. And so if you find yourself getting angry, you might wanna look at that. I'm gonna talk a fair amount about anger, um, how to use it and not be used by it. This is a, a big part of what I wanna riff on. How can we use this energy and not let it use us? How, how can we use it and not abuse it? Um, and also along these lines, notice how quickly Again, I'm speaking about myself. How how readily, how quickly I FedEx out of my body and into my conceptual mind, into conceptual proliferation, propancha, and and fundamentally just lose contact. So whenever you feel these kind of escapist, kind of uncontrolled contractions, pause, one breath, drop back into your body. Um, and so when, when I was when I was going through, you know, I saw Ted's question last week in all candor, I saw it on the list of questions, and I was avoiding it. Um, he put it up there very early on, and, and I I saw it, and I just didn't want to go there, um, and I, re- I looked at that. I Even the avoidance at the time, and I'll show you a, l- a little bit more like why I didn't go there last week until the very end, but it has to do with what I want to talk about now, and, and that is that if we don't think, and again, I'm speaking very personally and directly here, if we don't think that, that meditation spirituality can, in fact, meet the current social crisis, can meet politics, or in fact, if we don't feel that something like a meditative spiritual platform is not in face, in fact, the place to discuss really gritty, grimy, dirty things like even politics, uh, first of all, if that's the way you feel, I, I actually honestly advise you to sign off. <laughs> I won't be offended. Maybe it might be best to skip this in the next session um, because we're going to talk about some really charged stuff. And, and I think if we don't do that, of what value, of what relevance is our meditation, of what relevance is our spirituality? It, it absolutely positively catapults us into a cascade of near enemies and spiritual pathologies, which, some of which I'll be talking about spiritual bypassing which is absolutely epidemic. And so with some of these kind of um, initial comments and caveats, I'm, I'm going to speak with a little bit more directness than I normally do and unapologetically. Um, if it comes across as political, if you interpret it as divisive, divisive or even contentious, so be it, um, we can talk about it. But I feel it's, it's time to be a little bit more, at least from my side, direct about what's going on and how we can use um, spiritual practice meditation as a way to skillfully engage what's happening instead of running away from it. So when I saw Ted's question last week, it's like, you know, I didn't really wanna go there. Um, Part of it was for this reason. is like, is this the right platform? Should we be talking about this? And the other thing is, uh, I didn't think I was ready. because the full impact of what happened, I mean, you know, this thing happened a week ago, Wednesday, we met Thursday. Um, it was so surreal to me that I, I wasn't able to digest it. I turned on the TV and, and I thought, well, is this like an Independence Day sequel? Um, is this really happening? And it was so stunning that I, I literally couldn't grok it. I, I couldn't digest the magnitude of what has happened and actually it's continuing to happen. And so I avoided uh, Ted's question because it's like, I, I'm not sure I know what to say here. I'm, I'm still, I'm not necessarily in denial, but it's like, I'm not sure what to do with this. And so i spent a lot of this last week. I had a wonderful conversation yesterday, David Loy and I went for a long walk. We spent most of the time talking about exactly this. In fact, I will share with you a wonderful three-part meditation. Cause I asked him, I said, David, what, what do you recommend? when people ask you, what do you do with this? So I will share with you this little powerful three-part guided meditation that he gave me. I'll share that with you. But it really took me a while to to grasp the the scope of this. And the more I digested it, the more repugnant, revulsive it became. I mean, literally physically nauseating, like I wanted to throw up. And it's absolutely positively Shakespearean in scope. I read this op-ed, in the New York Times Review a number of years ago that was brilliant. As you know, they're, they're total liberal. And I mean, you know, they, they're my peeps, they speak my language. And, and I think the the New York Times Review is pretty brilliant. And I read this really interesting um, piece from a scholar who talked about how what's actually happening now is completely Shakespearean in its scope. And, and as you know, um, in most of Shakespeare's plays, the the climax always comes at the end. It always gets worse at the end. The murder, the the disaster, the the drama always happens at the end. And so his his comments were completely prescient. Um, this could have been written four years ago. That the closer you get to the end, and you know the question is, will we in fact be at the end on the twentieth? The more um, tragic it becomes. And boy, these these words are really coming to, to bear. So. I think it's time for us, at least for me. Everything is relationship to me. Um, how I feel, how I'm working with this, struggling with this, wrestling with this. This is one of the things that that I've been working with for a while. Is that there's a lot of conversation about you know being PC, right, being politically correct. I think you know there's some validity to that. I I don't think there's enough conversation about being SC, spiritually correct. And by this, what I mean, a little bit what I was talking about earlier, is this really profoundly damaging, fallacious notion that somehow it's anti-spiritual to get angry. That uh, I have had, I've had criticisms. Believe me, leveled at me. Um, people have literally come to me after a particular expression, and they said, "Well, that's not very Zen of you. You know, you're not being Zen." I thought, literally, I had one person say. Well, I thought you were more Zen than that. And, and another person on a different situation, these are all true stories. Um, that's not very Buddhist of you. And I, I you know, I, boy, yeah, you can imagine what I almost said, but didn't say. Um, but my, my immediate re- response is, well, if that's really the way you feel. You don't know anything about Zen. You don't know anything about Buddhism. You are projecting your precious sterile versions of spirituality and meditation onto me and onto the world. And somehow the thinking spirituality is, you know, this kind of archetype of the distance, this uh, this differentiated, dissociated, you know, individual sitting in ultimate retreat, untouched by the issues of the unwashed masses, right? That's such a naive, immature spirituality, naive spirituality. Real spirituality has teeth, I mean, really solid guts, and we're going to be talking about that. So if, if your version, this is a question for you, if your version of meditation and spirituality is just really a form of metaphysical valium, if you're just trying to sedate yourself, there's some provisional validity to that. This is a colossal near enemy, in my opinion, of the mindfulness revolution. I am going to be talking to Sharon about that because I'm writing a book on it. You know, if you just wanna feel good, um, there's, there's provisional validity for that. Um, there is a provisional validity for being sedated, pacified. That's where mindfulness will take you. But as I've said over and over, starting with my first book, The Power and the Pain, in my estimation, the spiritual path is not about feeling good unless you're talking about basic goodness, completely expanded sense of foundational goodness spiritual path is not about feeling good. It's about getting real. And getting real means dealing with really difficult, thorny, earthbound issues, everything that we're seeing is taking place in the world. And so I actually saw this quote just this morning. Let me read this to you. You'll see here, this is, I can't remember who wrote it because it was, it was actually sent to me Um, without attribution. I I remember reading this, I can't remember where, so I can't attribute it, but you've probably heard variations of this, right? So here you go. From some spiritual master, no doubt. And again, there's there's some truth in here, but you'll also see a hornet's nest of near enemies here, at least in my opinion. So here's the quote. Always recognize the dreamlike qualities of life and reduce attachment and aversion. Practice good-heartedness towards all beings, be loving and compassionate no matter what others are doing to you. What they will do will not matter so much when you see it as a dream. The trick is to have positive intention during the dream. Now he's not just this person, this is me, I'm not just talking about the nighttime dream, I'm talking about this dream, right? The trick is to have positive intentions during the dream. That is this, this is the essential point. This is true spirituality. End quote. Well, is it really? Maybe this is part of true spirituality. If if we run around in these raging forms of absolutistic thinking, absolute spiritual bypassing. And, and this is a colossal enemy with the stuff that I'm writing and riffing about dream, nocturnal practices, dream yoga, illusory reform, saying everything is, is a dream. It's a very dismissive comment that leads not to healthy differentiation, but to pathological dissociation. And so if, if this is your charter, I, I don't think this is true spirituality. I think it's part of it. It's part of the picture. Um, because otherwise things just become too anemic, in my opinion. So um, along those lines again, and again, uh, pardon that this isn't particularly polished. I literally just threw these notes together this morning. I I want to, before I talk about anger and how to work with it, spiritual bypassing and how to work with it, all the things that I've started to ping, I I want to, again, maybe back up for just a second to recontextualize and set the right view because in many ways i'm trying to do that i want to be a little bit more articulate here because you know it's an eightfold and the eightfold noble path right view is the first of the eightfold factors it's really important so that then we contextualize we frame what we're doing otherwise we lose our vision we we go non-lucid and and that i mean on non-lucidity on a very, very deep level is absolutely what's happening now. People are just losing it. They're going completely non-lucid to what's happening in the world right now. So the right view um, that's applicable to us here, in my estimation, and I've been riffing on this for, if you've been paying attention to my stuff, for, for quite some time now, is that if you, I think, pay very close to the nature of reality, mind and its display, I have no doubt whatsoever, and I'm convicted on this, I'm writing about it, That you can reduce the vast complex display of everything that happens in the world, and I mean everything, nothing is left out of this, to the spirit, to fundamental spiritual principles and tenets. Psycho spiritual principles can explain everything, really. I believe this has ultimate explanatory power. Um, And so that in itself is helpful to understand. And so what we are working with is, in fact, throughout the stuff I read, uh, write on, and riff on. We're working with these absolute irreducible aspects, but sometimes they're so foundational, they're so far down, they're so fundamental that the display that arises from that, it it can no longer really be efficacious. These teachings on one level can become so subtle that it's like trying to stop a a tank with a fly swatter And so um, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about how we can use these incredibly elegant, beautiful, powerful, explanatory teachings to inform everything we do. And then also um, translate into more skillful means that sometimes require um, even force, even, I mean, wrath. We're talking about real wrath. So the other thing I want to talk about are the, the four karmas, what they are, and in particular, the karma of destruction. There is a place absolutely 100% for wrath, for anger, and for destruction. It's in the tradition. But uh, one of the most summary statements around this, I I heard from John Kabat-Zinn, I think it's just beautiful in its impact. And again, this is talking about the foundational aspect of what we're doing when he says this, when you know the mind fully, you get beauty the arts, and all things wondrous. When you don't know the mind fully, you get Auschwitz. And so really on a very real level, again, everything that's taking place now, this super samsara, samsara on steroids is because these individuals don't know the mind fully. And, you know, you get these inflammatory processes, Trumpism, uh, literally um, Sam Harris now, who, who I... I like this guy, he's got, he's got a real cutting edge to him. He calls Trump derangement syndrome. I don't know if he made that up, but um, you get the idea. And so what is fundamentally happening here, absolutely positively, is indeed reduced to developmental issues, egoic inflammatory issues, issues where ego itself um, is an arrested form of development. Everything can be reduced to these fundamental truths. And once we break away from these truths, once we break away from non-dual truths into duality, we enter the world of fake news. And everything we're seeing in these gross, epiphenomenal expressions of fake news, even in the way the politicians are using them, 100% guarantee they can be reduced to these foundational fake news principles, the principles of duality altogether. And so I, I, I want to throw that into the mix because on that on this level, what we are doing in our programs and our teachings and so many other skillful people, we are dealing really very very um, powerfully with everything that's happening in the world. But we're just working with it at levels that are so subtle, so foundational, so irreducible that they in can, fact can be ex- extremely feel extremely removed from what's happening in the world. Um, and so I think it's helpful to throw that into the mix. And so to return to this developmental thing, you no know, ego itself is, is a necessary part of human evolution. Fundamentally, ego doesn't really exist. It's an illusion, but we reify it. And it goes into what's called schismogenesis or runaway. And then you get things like we're getting now. I mean, the classic diagnosis of what Trump is, a malignant narcissist, xenophobe, misogynist, power mongerers. And all his cronies in, in Congress and then all the, the army, 20 million in his army. I'll, I'll give you more specific numbers. These are the 20 million fanatics. Um, these all reduce to basic egoic inflammatory processes. And so, you know, um King Donald, right? The emperor who fundamentally has no clothes, and some of these clothes are being stripped away with what Twitter and Facebook are doing, good for them. You know, King Donald and 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 his Idiot's Republic of Trumpistan. I think that's the other term that's coming out. You know, the the Idiot's Republic of Trumpistan. The numbers here are really scary. Preaching to the choir here, but I want to say just a little bit in case you don't know. 74 million people, right? I think 74 million voted for him. He has 89 million followers or he did on Twitter. Um, Some 20 million is what what I'm hearing now. Literally, they call them the army of Trump and this is a real serious thing. If, if you literally uh, don't think, and I've been in denial about this, if you literally don't think that civil war is a real possibility here, you've got your head in the sand. And I have had my head in the sand as well. It's like, no, this can't happen here. But absolutely, positively, it can happen here. And, and we see this, these types of expressions that are you know, based on, on what we saw last week. I personally don't think it's gonna stop at all. I think we are gonna see um, more violence for sure, um, lunatics, because these people are quite literally willing to kill and die for their cause. It's, it's the phenomenology of runaway belief, the phenomenology of fanaticism, that when you reify things to that level, you are willing to kill and die for your beliefs. Um, and some of the stuff that's happening, I mean, I, I don't need to go into all of it. I, we could talk endlessly by just be repeating what's happening on the news. Some of the stuff, the more of the stuff that's coming out is increasingly disconcerting. 90% of Republicans still think the election was stolen, that democracy is really at risk. And from this is born, from these types of reified ideologies and true ultra fake, ultra fake news is born fascism and nationalism and things like that. And if, if uh, you think that somehow this world, Western world is somehow immune from that? I think we're all kidding ourselves. I was listening to some, some conversations with some of these QAnon people, really scary stuff. You know, the, these, these folks who literally, literally believe that Democrats, many Democrats are, are this is no exaggeration, are child raping cannibals when you actually try to present them with the facts, as you know, they, they, they become extremely defensive, offensive, proclaiming that you're the one that needs to wake up there. In many ways, you know, um, some people are saying these folks are unreachable. And these, these are the ones that are really prof- uh, quite terrifying. This is where, in my opinion, this is where I'm going for help and understanding this kind of mentality. We need the help of professionals, psychologists, sociologists, cultural um, anthropologists, people who really work with this type of thing using history as, as their you know, kind of um, uh, resource, their references. So the more I personally digest this, it's taken me days because the, you know, the shock is so intense for me, the, the intensity is so much, the more repugnant it is. Um, and you know, how am I going to deal with that? How am I going to work with that? What what am I going to do? I'll share a little bit more personally about what I'm working with and how I'm dealing with it. But for us now, fundamental teaching of the Buddhist tradition is in fact impermanence. Everything ends. Roman empire ended, civilizations ended. I've been to some of these great ruins, uh, Mayan ruins, uh, Angkor Wat, these great civilizations. And if we somehow in, in America in our narcoticized culture somehow feel that, that democracy can't end, we're kidding ourselves. Um, And right now, uh, Norm Chomsky, my friend David Loy said this, Norm Chomsky, you know, incredible student of the Western world says we are living, he said this months ago, we are right now in the most dangerous point in the entirety of human civilization in history, right now. Uh, when I heard this from David several months ago, like many others, oh, that's just hyperbole. That's just, you know, people looking for a, a clickbait, looking for their sound bites. I don't think so anymore. What's happening here is really a catastrophe. And I run around often, you know, I work with this myself. I'm, I'm a kind of a minimalist when people um, kind of lose it and they confabulate and they go into a runaway and they start to catastrophize. I often find myself coming in as a minimizer. No, it's really not that bad. I really had to work with that propensity now because I have been minimizing what's happening. Um, it's definitely a catastrophe what's taking place, literally. And so, um, one breath meditation, one sit meditation for me. And now I only want to get a little bit more. Um, connect this to a fundamental problem that I see within myself, and I see in spiritual communities, um, spiritual bypassing. I want to talk a little bit about spiritual bypassing. This is a term that was coined by brilliant psychologist, um, John Wellwood. He kind of, in a certain sense, was riffing on what Trungpa Rinpoche talked about as spiritual materialism. Spiritual bypassing is a kind of a subset of spiritual materialism. I'm doing a lot of study research on this right now because I'm gonna be presenting, I think, some stuff even with David Loy on this. And so I want to read to you, excuse me, a a definition of this term from a a psychologist, Robert Augustus Masters, who wrote a a book by this title, Spiritual Bypassing, When Spirituality Disconnects Us From What Really Matters. And so this is a good book. I wouldn't say it's a great book, it's a good book. Um, Again, who am I to say? first part I think is really good. So this is the way he defines it. And then we're going to riff on this a little bit. And then we're going to talk about anger and how to use anger and that anger is not at all anti-spiritual. Anger has a place. So this is the way he defines it. Spiritual bypassing is a very persistent shadow of spirituality, manifesting in many forms, often without being acknowledged as such. Aspects of spiritual bypassing include exaggerated detachment, emotional numbing and repression, overemphasis on the positive, anger phobia, blind or overly tolerant compassion, weak or too porous boundaries, lopsided development, paren, cognitive intelligence often being far ahead of emotional and moral intelligence, and. peren debilitating judgment about one's negativity or shadow side, devaluation of the personal relative to the spiritual, and delusions of having having arrived at a higher level of being. That's pretty good. Boy, that's pretty good. That covers a lot of territory, and to me has a tremendous amount of explanatory power. I mean, when I read this stuff, and this is kind of jumping ahead to part of my prescription, at least i'm working with it is like checklist okay does this apply to me right check 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 oi oi bay spiritual bypassing busted busted so this is not only a very uh, interesting kind of intellectual topic for me this is a very personal topic for me that that i i work really intensely with this now you know it's very often to, we see in others what we don't see in ourselves What am I not seeing? What am I not seeing? How am I contributing to what's happening? Is my silence being complicit? And so working with this stuff is not easy. Blind spots by definition are blind spots. They're really hard to see. And all these people that are doing what they're doing, I promise you, just like Hitler and Pol Pot, many of these other folks, they did what they thought was right. They were willing to fight, kill, die, because they were so convicted in what they're doing is the right thing to do. I mean, really think about it. If you drink the Kool Aid and feel that this democracy is being stolen, the election is stolen, what would you do? And so these people that have reified this without, you know, not willing to open and, ch- and challenge what they're feeling, they solidify. And then from that I brought about these extremely offensive and defensive reactivities. So, um, There is a place. Let's talk now about how all this relates to anger in this kind of anti-spiritual, ridiculous notion that anger somehow is not applicable. Um, There is a place absolutely 100% on the spiritual meditative path for tough love, for anger. Wrathful um, compassion is not an oxymoron. It has a place. Doctrinally, to put it into context, let me just talk very briefly about the four karmas. These are Very interesting kind of terminology because there are four acts. Uh, Karma literally means action. The four karmas actually when they're performed purely are are, uh, actions that don't create karma. And so what this therefore means, if it's done properly, wrathful anger, um, you know, uh, wrathful activity actually can be karma free if it's driven from um, pure impulses and pure motivations, and that's the key. So the four karmas, uh, we don't have time to unpack all four of them, an extremely powerful set of teachings. The the karmas themselves are pacifying, that's the first approach, enriching, magnetizing, and destroying. And Trungpa Rinpoche talked a lot about this, and there was one quite famous example of it. I wasn't there, but people who I know were there where Trungpa Rinpoche went through these four karmas. Um, I don't think he was talking about them, but he actually manifested them in the course of this particular event. He was teaching in, in, um, as it was conveyed to me, teaching in, in a live session, and there was a person in the audience that that you know like really started to lose it, got up, stood up and started to unload on Rinpoche. And Rinpoche went through the four karmas, tried to pacify him, tried to engage him, worked through the enriching, brought him forth magnetizing. And then after a relatively brief period of time, he quickly determined that these three, um, I wouldn't say provisional karmas, they're not provisional. These three first karmas were not efficacious enough. They weren't getting the job done. And so he unleashed the fourth karma. Um, he had these, these little kind of, they're called kasung uh, kusung, these, these um, dharma protectors, these kind of, you could say, dharma um, protectors of truth. I don't want to say, you know, like military police, but they were, they're people there to just ensure the environment. Very, very brilliant way that Trungpa Jay even used military which is about the most anti-spiritual thing you can think of. His genius was to even bring military principles within the spiritual arena. And so he lashed out and ordered the kasung forcefully, wrathfully to get that mofo, the F out of there. And so he cascaded through all three and then they weren't working. So he went, you know, not right to it, but he cascaded through and engaged the wrathful karma. And so, you know, um, they're, they're always in, in a philosophical, bring it back to a little bit of um, philosophical principles, there's often discussions about these sorts of things. You know, Here's one extreme example. This is a kind of a koan in philosophy and in, in morality and in studies of ethics. Like if you're in a room with Adolf Hitler and you have the opportunity to take him out, what do you do? You take him out. And you read, you know, read the literature, there's so many stories of the previous lives of the Buddha where he, you know, one instance he killed in his previous life, he killed a, a person who he knew was about to kill all these people and sink the ship. And so this is what uh, Robert says about anger, Robert Augustus master says about anger. Um, and this incredible trap that I see in the spiritual community and also within myself. So I, I'm talking very personally here about the near enemy of a kind of emotional asceticism or even emotional celibacy where we think, oh, you know, I can't get angry, right? You know, it, it's, it's, this is not being spiritually correct. It has no place. Well, bullshit, <laughs> it totally has a place. So this is what Robert says. We can treat anger as an ally, an enemy, an inconvenience, a regressive activity, a resource, a means of aggression or a means of deepening intimacy. It's our choice. We're not here to outgrow anger, but to outgrow our dysfunctional ways of using it. And this begins with knowing anger well. And then he goes on to say in a really powerful way, anger is moral fire. Whether it is destructive or constructive is, is in our hands and in our hearts. It's all depends on how we relate to this energy in and of itself, again, situating it in Dharma lingo, this is the, the energy of the Vajra family that is cutting, incisive, clear. And this particular um, avenue has, has its, again, it has its bandwidth of applicability and so, um, the the appropriate relationship is really the issue. How do we in fact engage this energy properly? Um, How can we relate to it instead of from it? It's also interesting uh, kind of doctrinally that of a hundred and peaceful wrathful deities that represent the archetype of of the awakened mind, there are more wrathful deities than there are peaceful deities. So if you do the math on that, working with wrath, working with aggression, not being afraid of confrontation, whether it's individual or in this case uh, social, standing up saying no. And this is, this is the other thing, you know, especially with all the meditations I've been teaching on, on open awareness, the power of saying yes, the power of radical acceptance, I'm not criticizing it at all. When we're working with our own mind and heart, we're working with our own experience, we really do, um, it's extremely helpful to work with unconditional yes. Um, I'm perfect just the way I am, like Suzuki Roshi says. He says, you're perfect just the way you are. Or what do you say? We're all perfect just the way we are, but we could each use improvement. It's fantastic. So on one level, when we work within, radical acceptance, unconditional love for ourselves is absolutely true. But there's also a place for the big fat no. Um, In fact, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche wrote a very powerful article. I think it's literally called The Big No where, again, these energies come into play, setting boundaries, being wrathful, expressing anger without being aggressive. And even there, it's interesting, the etymology of the word aggression literally means, aggress, literally means to step forward. It just depends on how you're going to step forward. Like now, how do we step forward? So even aggression, fundamentally, is not inherently problematic. So for us, and then I'll give you some, some really practical things. This is all laying the groundwork for what I hope will be a fruitful discussion today and maybe next week. What do we do with all this stuff? And there's so much more to say, but for, for today, um, I wanna allow opportunities for you to speak. Um, can we in fact, in a tantric way, an alchemical way, use what's happening, transform obstacle into opportunity well, we have to, we can, but we have to be careful because, um, as I mentioned before, starting with the virus, um, studies have shown that when things fall apart, the default is actually regressive; it's not progressive. So we have to really, really examine what regressive and, and mostly reactive um, relationships are versus progressive, responsive relationships, and so. Connected to this is what the, I'm, re, I'm reading a book now, um, many of you probably read it, a classic book by uh, biologist Bruce Lipton called The Biology of Belief. I highly recommend this book, um, really tour de force on, on the biology of epigenetics, super interesting things. And, and Bruce is a really pretty clever guy and he talks about there how it is that actually crisis, crisis ignites evolution. Um, and what exactly is that evolution? It all, and how can we, engage in it, it all depends on how we relate to it. Everything is about proper relationship, relationship to what's happening in the world, relationship to our own interior landscape, how we can relate to things instead of from them. And then from that more, and this is where spirituality and psychology are critically important, where we can step into the world, not completely lost in our projections. I mean, if we don't do some cleaning up at home we are just plastering the world, which we're doing all the time with projections. And so when we step into the world, how do we know if we're really cleaning it up or just further adding pollution? That's where the inner work comes in um, before really we work with the outer work. So I do think that there is a, a lot of, I mean, some people, including Bruce, uh, I listened to this entire thing on what was called the Earth Keeper Summit, um, five, six speakers, including Bruce Lipton, talking about what's happening in this stage. This obviously was released before last week's um, crap show about how these g- speakers were genuinely excited about what's happening using dissipative theories of, uh, you know, related to chaos and complexity theory, dissipative structures. There's all kinds of physical, metaphysical, even scientific principles that can help us understand what's happening here. That very often, you know, before, it get, before light breaks, it's always the darkest. So um, I'm gonna, I want to leave you with a couple of things that I'm working with and then let's talk about this. Um, again, there's so much to say, but let me just say a couple of things like, okay, well, what do we do with all this? Well, <clears throat> let me tell you what I'm doing, how I'm working with it. And I love to hear what you all are doing with this. So what do you do? Well, on one level, of course, it's up to us. Do we default? into indoctrinated, ingrained, habitual karmic patterns? Again, those are generally regressive. Or do we look at these things authentically, honestly, painfully, and in an exploratory way, discover our roles and what's happening, and and therefore do the necessary work that allows us to step forward properly? I start and end, like I mentioned earlier, one thing that's critically important for me is I start and end every single day with meditation because it creates this larger framework for me, this larger context where I I sandwich, I hold my day within the embrace of space, within the embrace of wisdom, kindness, compassion, and love. If I don't do that, I go non-lucid. I I just lose it during the day. I get swept up, I get lost, I get really pissed off. What good is that gonna do? So for me personally, meditation is key. It helps me recontextualize, helps me see more properly, helps me unframe and reframe everything within this larger, truer embrace. Because, excuse me, whether it's 50 years, 100 years, even a bigger topic, will we even be here in 100 years? I don't even know anymore. But if we live, if the civilization continues for 100 years, we will look back upon this with the lens of the perspective of time. Einstein showed us that space and time are inseparable. We don't have the luxury of waiting a hundred years, but space, the inseparability of space time, you work with space that can create the perspective of time. So I I step in and then I step out. I get my 50,000 foot view. I try to look down from philosophical, psychological, spiritual, developmental principles and tenets. I hold it that way. But the kick is then I don't stay up there. Then I come back. And then for me, it's a very active, open question. What more can I do? So I I work with this kind of multi-layered approach because I'm a multi-layered being. But what I take refuge in is this larger, open, spacious wisdom embrace. From that open stance, I find myself much less reactive, more responsive, more open, more able to touch into my own reactivities. And therefore, I can communicate with, with my family who I love to death, but are hardcore They still support Trump. It's a staggering challenge for me. I love my family, but they are hardcore Trumpsters. How am I going to ever see them again? Part of me just says, I don't want anything to do with you, right? And the minute I feel that, I'm going, well, wait a second. You know, this, this, this is my blood. These are my peeps on one level. How can I be with them? How can I relate to them? How can I, you know, connect to them? So I work with that. I can't do that if I don't have this larger framework. I mean, I'll just unload on them the way they unload on me, right? So, and so also uh, again, what role do I have? Is Trump in fact um, symptom or cause? Both, both. He's a colossal cause, there's no doubt about it. He needs to go away like yesterday. He needs to be taken out like right now. But the good news, painful as it is, is the diagnostic component that he is symptomatic of this underlying dis-ease that is now just raging to the surface. And again, from a 50,000 foot view, no coincidence, that are not a coincidence, I should say, that the, the epidemic is reaching, it's also it's absolute crescendo. I mean, could you ask for anything more Shakespearean? <laughs> we just need a comet to come by. Actually, that probably could help right now, honestly. If a comet was, was coming this way, that actually could help because then we all unify against the effing comet. So we need a bigger enemy. But, you know, really at this point, let's just have a couple asteroids come down. I mean, really it's like, what, what bring it on. Like what else can we possibly get? At this point, I had, talk about Shakespearean, right? So what is my part in this? What am I not seeing? Um, I try to work with the energy and I work with it even now. <clears throat> As this stuff comes up, I find myself, my, I find my heart rate going up, I take a breath, I slow down, I connect to what I'm feeling here. Because otherwise, just like the idiots that stormed the Capitol, I'm gonna lose it. And what, what good is that? If I can't hold my seat, um, how can I actually work with others? Again, personally for me, media diet, news diet. When the stuff first broke, I was like everybody else, you know, who maybe doesn't have a job, I was watching this crap four or five, six hours a day because it was like, it's a little bit like ambulance chasing. On one level, it's like, oh my gosh. It's like perversely entertaining. And then after a while, that toxicity, I don't know how people like Rachel Maddow and all these people live in this world. I, I don't know what kind of purification practices allow them to do what they're doing. It's so toxic. So for me, media diet, I personally, just me, I limit what I take in to a, an hour these days um, because otherwise I, I get obsessive. I, I just get so sucked into it. That's not healthy. So my, I, I stay away. And I also realize if I get too involved, I'm giving people like Donald Trump and all these other idiots <clears throat> more power. I am actually being shenwonged. I am actually empowering them with a power that boomerangs and then they have more power over me. They actually start to control me. And I'm not gonna let that happen. I'm gonna maintain my control, my rigor. Um, So maybe I'll talk a little bit more next week about what really needs to happen. I I, I recommend you listen to two interviews, the recent night interviews, two podcasts, Sam Harris. He's another, I listened to his stuff. He also inspired me to do what I'm doing now. Um, He released a podcast this week and last week where I 100% agree with virtually everything he says. Um, Just brief parenthetical interjections there. Absolutely. um, This is, again, I didn't polish any of what I'm presenting to you. Larger scope, absolutely um, diminish the power of the executive branch. So it doesn't have this, this potential for perversion. Increase election transparency and security so people can actually have trust in the election. There's so many practical things that can be done that we can help with that we can call our, our congressmen and our senators, just pick up the phone and call them. You can actually get involved in this type of change. Um, uh, change. And, you know, I want, I want to leave you, again, I have more to say, but I want to converse with you. Um, transition this sometimes potentially sterile view of Bodhisattva activity to what my dear friend, David Lloyd talks about as eco-sattva, or in this case, political sattva. How can we use these incredibly powerful spiritual tenets to save democracy? is it it's amazing that I'm even saying that? To save the planet. How, if, if we can't use, again, what we're doing here, in my opinion, it's irrelevant. Uh, of what benefit? You know, why, why not just take a Valium, drink a beer, and watch a football game, right? This real-body self-activity means engaging these types of things. So I'll say more next week about, um, I just have notes to myself, um, more specific things, um, not falling into single action bias. There's a, obviously a whole cascade of things I want to cover. Oh, I'm already over, over time. But I want to leave you with this reflection from my friend David Loy. He shared with me, because um, I asked him, I said, David, what are you recommending? And he shared with me this three-part meditation. Um, <clears throat> So I'm going to share it with you. I, I just find it really helpful, and then let's we can talk about this. And because this is such a big topic, and I hope I didn't race through it too quickly, um, we're definitely going to come back to this next week because I hate to say it, this is not over. You know, this is not over. Um, so more later. But three things: number one, reflect on your own situation your capacities, what you have to bring and to offer. In other words, there are, there, are, there are both limitations and blessings to things like our age, our health. These are, this is all David's stuff. Our age, our health, our abilities, our station in life, our skills, our training, education, all the resources that we have. So um, when I asked David, you know, like, what do you do? And he goes, well, the first thing I recommend <clears throat> is I don't give hardcore prescriptions, even though I think there's there's some validity to doing that. Mostly he, he basically in good spiritual um, way saying, do this work for yourself, figure it out on your own. Again, this is gonna be super interesting to talk to Sharon Salzberg about on Sunday. <clears throat> and I'm gonna release this talk ASAP, as soon as Monday, because her latest book is called Real Change. <clears throat> And I'm going to talk to her in this context about, you know, Sharon's a real senior voice. Real change at this level. What does it mean? How do we do it? So this is the start of a series of things I want to share with you. So number two, reflect on the possibilities available to you in the situation you are in. The location, where you live or where you could live. The problems that you're facing. So, for instance, this political thing, or things like fracking, things like pollution, things like I mean, like no shortage of things to choose from, right? Um, <clears throat> what else does he say here? Uh, reflect on your network of contacts, your connections, things that you can actually engage. Your particular skill set. What can you bring? And then the third thing he says, and he says most important. Open up, listen, meditate. What tugs at your heart? What tugs at your heart? Look deeply within. And here's what I do on this one as well, conjoining it with some other work I'm doing. Ask your body, ask your body. Literally, I'm almost to the point of supplicate. I'm I'm actually doing this now, it might sound goofy. I'm supplicating my body to teach me, to give me insights through dreams, through spontaneous insight. This is the the work of Reggie Ray. I just finished reading his fourth book on somatic descent. I found it really good. Where you can really work with your soma, with your body and and quite literally supplicate, help me understand what I can do here. And then notice how perhaps a spontaneous insight might appear, a thought that seems to come out of nowhere. Where did that come from? A dream that might, might come out of nowhere, so to speak. If you really open your heart and mind, you know, very, it's like Milarepa said, phenomena are all the books one needs. The world will always show you um, and in fact, almost command what needs to be done. If we're listeners, if we can really hear what's happening. So um, that's enough for today. Uh, Again, so much more to talk about, but I do want to share some stuff here from you. Questions or suggestions about this little Q&A and I have to limit it for to a half an hour. I have to leave it at 2.30 my time, but we'll pick it up later. This is just the beginning. I recommend that before you ask your question, um, you pause. Connect, like, like David said, connect to what you're feeling. <clears throat> Do I really need to ask this? Do I really need to say this? Take one breath and then don't speak from here. Speak from here, speak from your heart, speak from your body. Touch into what you're really feeling, not so much what you're thinking. And then I think from that, we, we can have hopefully a little bit of, of conversation um, with you know 160 some people, obviously we only have so much time. And so I will try, I want to create a platform where we can listen to each other um, and so I asked you if you want to make some contributions, um, notice um, be a little bit of interest, uh, of aware of time, that if you're running over the three, four, five minute mark, Andy and I might just politely say, thank you so much, but we want to let other people come on. Um, this stuff is so charged. I mean, really, maybe we'll do more. You know, The opportunity to really express, share um, is, is super important, but I think you understand the limitations of what we have here. So uh, much, much more to say, but I'm already running a little bit over the time. I wanted to, I didn't wanna race through, get too speedy, which is what I'm prone to do for my end. I lose disconnect from my heart, then I go into my head. So let's finish together with 30 seconds of Tong Lin. Okay, just to reconnect, 30 seconds, and then we'll open it up for um, discussion. Okay, 30 seconds. Amazing. I was, I think I shared with you, I was doing a little bit of reading in the Heart Math Institute. And in some of their studies, I think I shared with you, have shown that you can uh, facilitate open heart, um, heart brain coherence with, with one five second in breath, one five second out breath. You can bring mind and heart together. Just imagine, visualize what would happen if people in Congress did this. What would happen if people in, in these incredibly charged environments before they stormed down Pennsylvania Avenue, if you had how many, I don't know, how many tens of thousands of people were there, they all paused, right? I mean, what, what a utopian, instead of the dystopia we saw, the utopian kind of vision like, okay, before we stormed down Pennsylvania Avenue with zip ties, I mean, Lordy, right? We're all gonna pause together, right? For 30 seconds, oh, let's make it let's make it a minute. Hey, at this point, I'll even take one breath meditation. And we all, everybody pauses and connects. Talk about inner disarmament. So, what we're doing here has tremendous power. One breath meditation, Tong Lin, inner disarmament, connectivity, tremendous power. So, um, welcome to share. Um, um, I will give a little bit of Front of the line to my dear friend Ted, who posed the question last week. This was all seated with his question that I did not want to answer. (laughs) So, Ted, if you're there and want to say something, I'll put you to the front of the line to honor you. But otherwise, open floor for the next half hour. Yeah, Ted is here. So
1: uh, let's bring on Ted. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Um, Ted.
2: let, let me share how I, I asked the question, and thank you for really expanding on it. I think it's a discussion we all need to have. The way I am dealing with it is, first of all, on my little altar, along with Chenrezig, the Dalai Lama, and the Buddha, and Christ, I have a statue which I got just after Trump was inaugurated, mm. of him taking the oath of office. Wow. And I I do this with when I see all the terrible stuff that's going on, I turn that mirror to myself. Mm. And I've got every single one of those seeds mm. in me. Mm. Um, and so When I watched that, I, like you, was just just hooked. And I've never been sexually abused, but I felt as if I was being raped. Mm -hmm. You know? And so even with that, even with that, I had great compassion, not only for Trump, but for all the people with that deluded view. And it's hard. You know, because I, I recognize that he, like all of us, is the result of infinite causes and conditions. I don't condone the behavior in any way, shape, or form, but I have great compassion for the suffering that he and those people must be experiencing. And so what I have tried to do is I've tried to deal with some of my friends who are lifetime Republicans and had discussions with them. Some I can discuss with, some just, you know, put me off as a wacko liberal. Um, but the, for me, I'm, I'm much more, and, and sometimes I think it's, maybe it's a little bit, and you talked about this, a little bit Pollyannish you know, that, oh, things will work out. But I have, you know, I have alcohol and uh, drug-addicted family, and the expression that, that we've been told and we've experienced is each one of us needs to reach our own bottom. Yeah. And I'm hoping that this is an example of the United States of America reaching their bottom. Let's hope and that, that, that we can come up with this dysfunctional, there's only winning or there's only losing and coming up with compromise. And I've started to see some of that, but I'm sure I'm over my three minute time limit, so.
0: Thank you, Terry. Thank you, appreciate that. Yeah, there's, there's, there is reason for cautious optimism, um, but there's also that reconciliation with realism. But um, thanks for the offering and thanks for seeding all this for with your question. Appreciate it, my
1: friend. All right, next, we'll bring in Elizabeth, followed by Karina.
3: Hello? Hi. Hi there. Thank you very much, Andrew, and thank you, Ted. Um, I come at it from a slightly different uh, position. I spent many, many years in uh, political office. And, you know, I've had the death threats. I've been in the state house when the demonstrators have come in with their arms. My seatmate carried a gun the whole time that we sat together in the Vermont Senate. Uh, So, you know, I can definitely relate. Um, uh, But eventually the reason I decided, you know, after many years of getting up every day and throwing myself against the wall, trying to change things in a relative way, I just realized that ultimately that's not going to be where the real change takes place. Yeah, sure. And so I just want to hearken for a minute to the teachings of Shanti Rakshita. Yeah. Okay, where, where you take on the relative level, you look at the three natures, but on the ultimate level, you tap in to uh, to the to the Dharmakaya energy um, that re- from which everything comes from. And I heard this very week a really beautiful little way that Sotny Rinpoche put this, you know. So you turn on the TV and you see people rushing the Capitol, okay? And immediately it all conflates, and you know you, you know, and you've got you, you've articulated some of it, Andrew, very well, how one feels, right? Okay, so that's in a way one's own deluded or imputed nature, right? Uh, if one can take a look at that and see how much one is bringing to the situation and how much is really there, that's the beginning place. So then if you go to the healthy relative nature, yes, there's somebody scaling the, the capital and it's not good and we're angry um, and, and kind of go from there. But you begin to look deeply, you know, and you really like begin with the equanimity aspect of the four immeasurables. You know, we're all, we all want to be happy. We all don't want to suffer. And and really kind of go through that, right? And that's the aspiration bodhicitta. And then when you really look at how much you've imputed onto the situation, and how much of it is just real danger, then hopefully you can get to the the aspect of bodhicitta where you're ready to act. But you're coming from the place Uh of may these beings have happiness. May I take responsibility as Ted said for what I'm imputing. Uh, And may I have access uh, to this energy and to this goodness. May I supplicate? Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem weird at all. It's the essence, may I supplicate. Uh, to all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and the Dalai Lama, and, or whoever it is, the inner, outer, phenomenal gurus, the whole nine yards. I mean, imagine the Dalai Lama went through this exact same thing, you know. And so I think that we really have to, on the relative level, look at how much we're imputing onto the situation. Um, and then on the ultimate level, really try to purify. And, and then we have the action. Yeah. Then we have the all-accomplishing yeah. Action, yeah. not coming from an angry uh and, and using the dharma to justify it but then we're coming from that other deeper place so thank you for the forum and um
1: yeah
0: it'll... thank you for that contribution elizabeth that's really brilliant and uh, comes from someone who you know really walks the talk and and has has been on both sides um relative and absolute so terrific contributions spot on couldn't agree more thank you so much
1: all right. Next, we'll bring in Karina, followed by Christopher. Hi.
4: First, I want to say hello and thank you for this, uh, this space. I've been coming here for some months, but I never, I never spoke before. You're welcome. But thank you. Today, I feel that I want to say something because I have some experience from this. Okay. I, I left a marriage with a man who were like. If he would have been living in the US, he would have been a Trump supporter, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had, um, uh, talking about anger like you do, and as a woman, it's, it's a difficult thing because I mean, I, I obviously can be angry and I can really stand up for myself when I need it. But there are situations when you cannot do it because it might be dangerous. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that is what we have to do with here. So it is very complex and it is very difficult and and also I, I do not know if it, what I found out after leaving this marriage which was like it was worse than I, I knew really mm. because when, when I left hell broke, broke loose and I'm not so sure about what you said Ter, about this about suffering because what happened after I left was I, I have not seen any suffering there.
0: I'm not sure what you're referring to here so maybe help me suffering on his part or what do you mean
4: yes I mean obviously in some way but,
0: but oh it, what Ted was talking about yes yeah yeah and so
4: that, what I want to say is that this we have to do with people who are really like I mean talking about Trump suffering I in one way yes but in another way I'm not so sure yeah uh, and and I do not know what to do about these things. And 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 what I have found out, I left with three teenage sons, and they were, I was like, in the end, feeling that I had to save them from becoming something that I would not want to see them become. And and I think maybe that's that that's what we can do. <laughs> Talking about doing, I'm not sure what what we can do about these things. And I, I mean my. My ex, he was a very nice and beautiful person in many ways. He had read all the Vedas and he was... Uh, but anyway, this happened. So, I mean, uh, things like this happens. And and it seems to me that when those thoughts are getting implanted, it's very difficult to... Uh, it's it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do really. And, and I think what we can do is maybe save the young people to really people with consciousness really be where where people are uh, that are seeking and and that are easily getting lost to prevent people from getting into these kind of forums and conspiracy theories because once they're implanted it's like hell you you can you can't reach the person anymore because they found and they know something that you don't know, and, and I don't know what to do about such a thing. I mean, what can one do? I, I did not know. I, I tried for years, but I could not.
0: Yes, uh, yes, exactly. Great, great questions and comments um, and offerings. It, and just a couple of things came to mind here. Yeah, once, once those kind of thoughts are implanted, what to do? Well, uh, I mean, what we're doing, without being too cute with words here, is we can do thought transplants. You know, we can... L- from our own side, <clears throat> how we do that with others, not so easy, <clears throat> but from our own side, we don't have to take what arises in the mind to be so um, solid. In fact, we don't have to take it at all. And so this is where, you know, the power of the mindfulness revolution, which does have limitations, has tremendous capacity. We can do a, a kind of a thought transplant and then if, if, and eventually a completely different relationship to thought itself, so it doesn't stick at all because the fanaticism can be reduced to that. However, I do agree a little bit, not a little bit, I do agree with what Ted said in this way that we don't see the degree of uh, uh, responsibility um, that, you know, Trump doesn't express it, your, your ex didn't express it. My understanding and experience of this is that we express towards others what we express towards ourselves. And partly what happens here is that the suffering is so far down, it's so covered, it's so buried that the person no longer even has access to it. I, I, I read, I don't read much on this, but I did read Mary Trump's book. You know, she's a psychologist who also, I don't know what she's like, a niece or something of Trump, her book, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. It is a very interesting book because she relates as a psychologist, in fact, to the historicity, how it is that this milieu of toxicity, Trump's father, I mean, you listen to it and a little bit like Ted, oh my gosh, I actually do have a little bit of compassion for this person, but that doesn't mean I'm not gonna go out there and cut his head off um, if he isn't available to the means that can actually bring that suffering into more direct relationship. So these are people where they they practice an entire life relating from states of mind instead of to states of mind, that they're so far from that initial discord that from the outside, they, there's no uh, sense of, uh, uh, remorse. There's no sense of conciliation or responsibility simply because they're so far removed from it that they no longer feel it. But I, I actually would argue, as, as Ted puts forth, that if you take it down, you will find this tremendous inner discord buried deep, deep, deep within. But that's the issue. It's so far down. It's so deep. It's so far in the past that uh, even a lifetime of therapy sometimes won't do it. Um, and then the question is what to do? That's a very difficult question where honestly, I think we need to listen to, like I mentioned earlier, the cultural anthropologists, the, the political scientists, the social, uh, so, social scientists, the psychologists, they have skillful means that can be, I think, more applicable on these relative levels than spiritual technologies. But in short, thank you so much for your offering. I'm glad to see you're in a better space and uh, Let's keep our fingers crossed and our hearts open and see what happens, right? Thank you.
1: next we'll bring in Christopher, followed by Castle.
0: Hey Chris, you there?
1: Yes, I am. Here you are. (laughs) Thank you so much, Andrew. Welcome. I am, uh, I've been taking your uh, book study, uh, mm-hmm. Dreams of Life, for the past 10 to 15 weeks, so that has been wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, but I wanted to make an offering, number number one. I wanted to to say that part of what we're looking at in the United States is a country that Partially has been built on the lie of stealing indigenous people's lands and stealing people who were formerly from Africa, stealing their bodies. Mm. We have never really, as Americans, taken a close look at those two mm. issues. I could talk about the formation of the US Constitution, but I'll leave that for another discussion. Um, Those two issues right there, since they have never really been resolved in this country, have gone a long way to being a cornerstone in what we witnessed last week, unfortunately, the tragedy we witnessed in our country last week. On the flip side of that, in Germany after the Nuremberg trials, and this was in one of Michael Moore's uh, recent movies, they have taken a close look at what happened uh, during the formation of the Nazi party in the 1920s and 1930s and up until Hitler got elected chancellor, again by a, a less than majority vote, just like Trump, Four years ago. Uh, I'm going to move on to white men feeling the way that they do and because what we observed last week was mostly white males and some white females who were performing the acts that they did on the Capitol complex in Washington, D.C. There was a study And at the end of 1914 by uh, a woman from Princeton, her name is Anne Case. She worked with a gentleman by the name of Angus Deaton. And they studied cohorts of white men um, who did not have the same job access opportunity and were engaged in unfortunate things like addiction and unemployment, the whole list of things. These are components along with the deregulation of former government programs that reached out to people in this country for about the last 45 years uh, that have set the groundwork for a person like Donald Trump who four years ago, at least went into hollowed out cities like Dayton, Ohio, Camden, New Jersey, and Detroit, Michigan, and spoke to the white constituents of those cities, and at least honored where they were coming from. So obviously, they attached to what he was saying, and they voted for him, and they still feel very much attached to his message and uh, his actions. Uh, He is a masterful communicator and a masterful propagandist. And he has been able to align these people in his favor, as we witnessed on election day, 74 million of those people voted for Trump. And a smaller percentage supported him last week. So in conclusion, Andrew, we have some very, very deep issues to address in this country in order to, number one, resolve the original lies that this country was founded on and address people's very deep needs to have the basic, basic things in life to be able to feed their families by putting food on the table and putting a roof over people's houses. And with government policy being the way it has been in this country over the last 45 years, those have been very, very difficult issues. Yeah. So <clears throat> I thank you for letting me uh, yeah. go ahead and articulate these. No,
0: things. I appreciate that. Very well said and, and again, spot on. Um, it's not just, this is why I'm such a big fan of integral theory, right? It's not just an interior thing, It's a, a Phenomenal logic. It's a, it's a cultural thing. It's a social thing. It's a historical thing. That's yep,
1: yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Th- these are all things that really need to be teased apart, because again, in this kind of dependent origination way, these are the co-conspiratorial factors, talking about conspiracy at the ultimate re- real levels. These are all the co-conspiratorial factors that come in to create this display. And so until those are all teased out and addressed, no surprise that we get these types of displays. Um, so we have to raise our gaze, look wider. This is what I'll talk about briefly next week. The issues of what are called single action bias, where you think that just, you know, take out the leader, that'll take care of it. Do this one thing, that'll take care of it. No, reality doesn't work that way. So I appreciate what you're saying, completely agree with you and uh, um, gracias amigo. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe one more and then we'll, again, we'll pick this up next week. I have. Next week, I'll probably have much, much less to say more time for this type of conversation and communication because I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of what you're offering and, and what I'm learning from you. So maybe one more for today. I have a hard stop at 2.30 my time. All right, we'll bring in Kassel.
5: Andy, it's L. Sorry about that. That's all right, that's all right. But you might talk to me more, so I just thought I'd say so. Hey, Andrew. Hi, dear. Uh, I kept thinking all the while that you were talking of a couple of things. One is, um, I think Katie, who's actually on this call and and uh, loves being part of this, uh, at, at was at a, some program or at seminary. Trungpa Rinpoche was talking at great length about all the wonderful attainments of the bodhisattva and... Um, Katie said, Well, Rinpoche, it sounds like we have to be a bodhisattva b- before we can do anything. And Rinpoche said, Oh, no. If you wait to be a bodhisattva, nobody'd ever get any help. <laughs>
2: exactly. uh, yeah, yeah.
5: I just wanted to share that. And the other thing. It has. It's just, it's just a topic that's floating in my mind, but I was reading about the convergence on the capital of the pride boy, Proud Boys and the This Boys and the That Boys and this group and that group. And there were so many organized groups mm. that came together. And we are not organized at all. We all are sitting in our little boxes. Yeah. I mean, there's something. I mean, I know from working on an underground newspaper in Mississippi in the 60s, we were only seven people, but the fact that we were seven people working together made a difference. And I just started to think that maybe what we need to do collectively is actually... Something flashed on my screen as we were talking about, you know, a group of veterans who were going to hold the ones who stormed the Capitol, um, you know, responsible. And I thought maybe we we need to collectively think about how we can join with others, because we're not going to do much by ourselves. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great thought. Um,
0: really, really interesting insight that maybe, you know, what did Margaret Mead say? You know, a small group of people can change the world. But, um, that in fact, interesting, the Proud Boys and, and all these other, whatever they are, get together and they have this kind of impact. We, we the idea of creating kind of pockets of political sanity um, where the collective forces gather, I, I, th- I think it's a terrific idea. Um, so maybe we can continue to ping that out and, and talk to people about actual implementation strategies and that sort of thing. Because really, obviously, that's, that's the, where power um, is created in a very healthy way, and you know, perhaps yeah. literal powerful change could be enacted about about. So I think it's a great idea. Um, so thank you for offering that. And everybody, really I apologize. Because I have to run. We'll pick this up next week. Again, um, this is, and you could say maybe the beginning or continuation of this. Hopefully there'll come a time when the dust can settle and we can turn to some, on the, another topic. But I think that, you know, we. I think it seems healthy to me, somewhat disingenuous if we don't just continue to talk, bring what's happening in the world onto our path, actually include it in our path um, so that we can, be of some benefit to ourselves and also increase benefit to the world, which obviously needs it. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. We'll pick up this thread next week. Um, I will definitely talk less and open the floor more because I think there's some really terrific contributions and actually some really great ideas that we can all share amongst ourselves. But between now and then, let's pray we get through this next week. Good night. Uh, let's, let's see what happens. Um, and keep our heart, hearts and minds open, practice, do Tonglen for others And uh, reconvene next, uh, next week, same time, same place, and continue our little journey together. So all the best to you. Thanks for joining us.